Welcome to Hence the Future podcast. I'm Matamor Cronin. And I'm Justin Clark. And today we're discussing the future of Gen Z. With us today is Harry Valner. Harry, it's great to have you on the podcast. It's great for having me. Thank you, guys. Sure. So for our listeners, Harry is a Gen Zer. He was born in 1997, and he truly is an impressive Gen Zer. So at 22 years old, he's founded Kyoku, a personalized fitness supplement company. He pilots drones and operates 3D printers in his free time. He's worked across a variety of different LA Silicon Beach technology companies, including Start Engine, where my sister works. And every day my sister would come home and she would rave about how great Harry was and how much better and more competent he was than all of the millennials and Gen Xers on her team. So when Justin and I were thinking about a guest for this podcast, that was the first idea that came to mind is, oh, let's get Harry, let's get a technologist <laughs> and hear what Gen Zers really have to say and what their perspective is on all of the problems that we face and that we discuss on this podcast. So I think a good way to get started is, I'd love to hear your story, Harry, about how your relationship has been with technology throughout your life. Because Justin and I had the very typical millennial technology experience, right? In middle school, that's when we first got phones and they weren't, you know, the iPhone X, it was a razor like phone a, or a flip yeah. phone. And then you know, eventually <laughs> Blackberries. And it really wasn't an important part of our lives until maybe high school. And the whole digital life thing wasn't really that ingrained in our lives. I think the closest thing for us was AIM, like AOL Instant Messenger. And, you know, from that came Twitter and lots of other ideas. But I'd like to hear from your perspective, what sorts of technology did you use at an early age? What technology were you using in middle school, high school? And how has that uh, helped you develop? Uh, definitely. First of all, you know, thank you so much for that great intro. Really yeah. appreciated it. <laughs> sure. um, but yeah, so I, mean, I think, you know, technology has been, you know, really, really interesting, I'd say for Gen Z. I think, you know, similar to you, you know, middle school, I, I got a phone. Um, but by that point, you know, was, the, the big choice was, do, do I get a Blackberry? Or do I get an iPhone? Mm. And I think, you know, even just, you know, the, it's not like we have a huge separation in age, but I think, you know, that, that few year difference, you know, bet- between our generations, especially, um, really, you know, had an incredible amount of technology change. And you look now between, you know, my generation and the next generation, you know, every kid who's four or five, my cousins, they all have an iPad now. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> like, what do you mean a four-year-old has an iPad? I didn't get an iPad till like high school. Yeah, my friend's um, little sister is like four years old and she will update apps on her mom's iPad and her mom doesn't even know how to do that. Exactly. And like, you know, I was, I was on a, a family trip and there were little kids with us and the whole dinner, they're like, requesting permission from their mom like through you know the family sharing part of like itunes or whatever to like buy new apps and to download new apps and it's like you know, i think the whole technology i think is changing across the board and i think you know going back to how has it you know impacted me and you know we had you know it was right at the tip of, or beginning of iMessage but you know we still had our aims and mm-hmm. you know we all had our laptops and you know would spend every night i think you know wired to these devices um you know video chatting with each other or on photo booth or, you know, whatever it was, you know, back in middle school. Um, and I think, you know, more than ever over the years, you know, technology has become more and more of an ingrained part of our lives. I mean, we, we live on our phones. I was reading something, you know, preparing for this and it's like the average Gen Z year spends, I think it's like three and a half hours on their phone a day. Yeah. Um, and it's just their phone. That's not even their laptop. Yeah. It really is like all the time that 
baby boomers spend watching TV, it's a very similar paradigm with how Gen Zers spend their time. But the difference is, is so huge because if you think about watching TV, it's a very boilerplate type of content experience where there's not a whole lot of variability. There's not a whole lot of, I mean, I guess depending on what political shows you watch, you can choose between two different realities. But with the internet, you can choose between an infinite number of realities. And you can take the information on the internet and build a billion dollar company and save humanity, or you can just waste all of your time and, and do nothing. So I, I find it fascinating how people use technology. I mean, what are the apps that, that you and your friends spend the most time on, would you say? Um, I mean, definitely, I'd say without a doubt, everyone, you know, right now is it's Instagram, it's Snapchat, um, Facebook, you know, I use Twitter a lot. I'm, you know, I love staying current with the news and that's how I get all my news. Yeah. Um, I know for most of my friends, you know, I'd say about half of them have Twitters, half of them don't. Um, and I'd say similar, you know, sports, the news, um, kind of, you know, staying current, I think is what Twitter is really about. But otherwise it's all about, you know, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook even is phasing out. Right. Do you have any friends that are just, they're turning away from social media in these apps to kind of live a, a less connected life? I know yeah. I see that trend among my <clears throat> friends and maybe the millennial generation, but I'm curious what your thoughts are and oh, what your friends are doing. Without a doubt. I mean, my, my co-founder of my company, um, you know, he's deleted his Instagram, he's deleted his Snapchat. He never, he, he, he actually, he just kind of re-updated his Facebook um, I'd say in the last two months, but that was mainly just like, so he had some sort of presence and mm-hmm. for, I think also, you know, I'd say the biggest thing our generation uses Facebook for is events. So inviting right. people to parties, inviting people, um, you know, to meetings or meetups. And, you know, I think it's, you know, Facebook is great for that. And so he updated his Facebook for that, but otherwise he's, you know, completely deleted all of his social media. And I have a, more and more friends. I feel like every week it sounds like, you know, there's another person mm-hmm. that deleted their Snapchat or deleted their Instagram or, you know, deleted their Facebook. So it's, yeah. it's interesting. And how much of that is driven by their concern for their own digital reputation, like we're getting jobs and that kind of stuff, versus just being concerned about their own mental health and, and how much time they're spending? I, I would say almost none of it is about jobs, I think. Really? Our, our generation, or my, my generation, I'd say very much, I think is less worried about like, oh, what am I, you know, what's my job going to be? What's this going to be? You know, what do I have to do to make sure my online presence, you know, is, you know, satisfactory? Right. Um, I think that's becoming less and less of, you know, a concern. Because I find that an interesting shift where if you talk about like people running for president now, we're starting to get to the point where there are, you know, there's photo evidence of stupid parties that they went to in their college years. We're just starting to get to that point. And yeah. it's going to exponentially grow where you could imagine when we have our first Gen Z president, there's going to be so much documentation of every aspect of their life. And I could see that going in one of two ways. It could go in the direction of, hey, everyone's got skeletons in their closet. This is just what a human life is like. So people will be more accepting of flaws. Uh, I could see it go the other way where it's like we have so much of a microscope on people's lives through digital media that maybe we are only going to uh, elect someone who's squeaky clean and that might be to our detriment. Yeah, I, th- I think it'll be interesting, you know, seeing over the next, you know, let's say 20 years, you know, the progression of this. I think even just seeing, you know, how social media posts from, you know, 
10 years ago and social media was first becoming a thing are affecting people. Um, I'm forgetting who it was, but I think it was with whoever was supposed to maybe host the Grammys or something, you know, it, there was something that had come up and he was a comedian. Kevin um, Hart. Yeah. Yeah. With Kevin Hart. And, you know, and he had posted something, you know, he's, he's a comedian that doesn't obviously, you know, clear him from being able to say whatever he wants to say. Um, but people, right. you know, dug that up 10 years later. Well, he made a lot of homophobic jokes. And I remember when I was in middle school, every kid was calling people the F word for gay people. Yeah. And it was just yeah. like a completely different world. It's a different than time. Living in now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think times were, are, you know, are, are very different. And I think, you know, obviously you always need to hold yourself to the highest standards, I think. And especially in, you know, today's day and age, um, you know, th things don't disappear. Mm. So you gotta, you know, you, you gotta make sure that what you're doing, you're doing right. And you're doing, you know, in a proper manner. Yeah. I want to go a little deeper on the job aspect because one of the topics that Justin and I touch on in almost every episode is the automation and globalization rise. Because, I mean, one statistic that we'll cite pretty often is that a truck driver is the most common job in 29 states in the U.S. And self-driving cars are already here. They're being more and more adopted. And so in five to 10 years, the most common job in more than half the states is going to be gone. And if you look at retail and all of these other areas, it's very clear that a lot of the current jobs are going to be automated away. So I'm curious if that's something that's on your radar. I mean, I know someone like you is very well positioned for the post automation world, but I'm wondering if, if your friends, if you guys are all at all concerned about maybe the jobs that my college majors or most of the majors in college are preparing us for aren't going to be around and what steps you might be thinking about taking to prepare for that. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think that, you know, that that's a surprise or not a surprise. I think, you know, it's, it's shocking seeing how many jobs are being replaced. Um, you know, there's even a restaurant here by campus and they have now an automated ordering system, just similar to, you know, what McDonald's has. Mm. Um, however, on the flip side, you know, the amount of jobs that are going to be needed, you know, in the development space are ridiculous. Mm. You know, you're, you're, the, the, the workforce of today isn't going to be able to manufacture um, and develop, you know, the systems and the software to power these self-driving cars and to keep them up to date without hiring, I mean, tens of thousands of people. And, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, oh, there'll be a replacement for every job that's going to be lost. But I can tell you that, you know, I think especially the trucking industry, um, well, there's going to be huge shifts to self-driving cars. Um, I mean, that's going to take, I think, a little longer than what people are guessing. I think mm. you've already seen the resistance, you know, with the Tesla and there was the accident. I think it was about six or eight months ago now. Um, you know, or, or no, it was with a Google self-driving car. It was right. out doing testing and, it, you know, it, it hit and killed someone. Um, and, you know, th th they need tens of thousands of more developers and people watching you know the software going through bugs going through logs um so i think that you know there'll be a job increase there i think you know it, it, they're more skilled jobs um mm. and and don't get me wrong you know truck driving is an extremely skilled job right. um but i think that you know it's the, the the jobs are shifting you know it's not like you know 20 years ago you know no one was a mobile you know mobile app developer or a senior mobile developer you know all these jobs that exist now I think jobs are going to, you know, continuously be added, and there's always going to be the need for a person driving a truck. 
Um, you know, every truck isn't going to all of a sudden one day just be a self-driving truck. Um, yeah. I think a lot of in the trucking world, a lot of the, you know, b- besides maybe Tesla and a few other companies, um, they're all add-ons for current trucks to make them self-driving and they still need a person sitting there in the cockpit. Right. Well, and that's so, why Tesla built in the sleeping pod. So you can yeah. have like a chill trucker dr- job where you're like listening to audiobooks <laughs> sleeping. And then exactly. once you get to your destination, then you manage it and unload the payload, whatever it is. Exactly. I'm just grabbing my water. It's right here. Sure. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm definitely not concerned about people like you in the post automation world, but for people who are older, especially a lot of baby boomers and Gen Xers and even older millennials, they're middle managers, meaning that what they mostly do is they manage other people. And a lot of those positions, which are not blue collar positions are going to be totally gone. And you'll be able to have billion dollar. I mean, we're already seeing multi-billion dollar companies with just a handful of people. Who, who yeah. look at them. So do you think of, of a world where we would need some sort of universal basic income, um, at least for the people who aren't able to adapt as well? I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that. Um, you, you know, I, I, I think it's one of those things where time's going to tell. And I think when you bring in, you know, this automation, you know, for example, just as an example, I mean, you know, t- like I said, tons of other jobs are going to be created. Um, and so I think it's it's really going to be a you know a question in a way of almost like checks and balances. I mean, you know, how many jobs are going to be lost and how many jobs are going to be added, um, and where are these industries going to be? You know, where are they going to go? Um, you know, what what new roles are going to be brought out? You know, there's going to be you know with more automation that means oh companies can have also if you think about it this way they're going to have less drivers and then they can have more trucks because they can afford them. Um, but then you're going to have, you know, you're going to need more mechanics. And so I think it's, you know, right. there's all these things happening and it's really going to be just a question of, you know, time, I think. And, you know, what's, where, where, where are we going to end up? Yeah. I think the other question is where do the profits go? Because yeah. if it's distributed amongst the people that work there, then that, that would obviously be a much better outcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess the, the next thing I want to talk about, we can switch gears a little bit, but it's related, is just the future of intelligence in general, the future of machine intelligence. And there's obviously been a lot of people sounding the alarm as far as AI safety, people like Elon Musk, people like Yuval Noah Harari and and Bill Gates. And they're very concerned that if we don't develop AI systems that have the right uh, safety in place, then we could see, you know, like the paperclip scenario is obviously a, an extreme example, but we could screw things up really badly is the point. So I'm, I'm curious if you have, if, if, you, if this is something that's even on something that you think about or worry about, or if you're pretty optimistic that we're going to be able to solve any issues with AI and, and no, I, have a good outcome. I, I, think, I think AI is, has the potential to be, you know, the most dangerous weapon out there. Um, you know, people don't even think like, oh, AI couldn't kill. But I mean, if you think about it, you have AI take over a Tesla, you know, mm-hmm. those cars are fully electric. Um, literally, I mean, a Ford, you know, a Ford Explorer versus a Tesla, 
you know, every aspect of that Tesla is connected to, you know, the, the core computer in one way or another. And you're seeing it already with cars, you know, like Fords and like Jeeps. Last year, you know, Wired Magazine came out with a huge article on, you know, how remotely hackers were able to take control of these cars. Wow. Um, so think, think of a Tesla, you know, a car that literally is fully connected through its mobile app. Um, you know, it has an autopilot feature. You know, these cars that hackers were able to take control of don't even have, didn't even have autopilot features. They had auto parking features. But when you think about it, that's the same, it's a similar system. And so getting able, you know, to control, you know, the acceleration, the braking and the steering, you know, yeah. from a remote point, you can do anything. And so yeah. AI is going to outsmart us. It's going to figure out, you know, at the end of the day, the only thing we'll all be able to do is turn off our, you know, turn the devices off. Otherwise, you know, it, it literally will be able to do anything um, and it's going to figure out how to evade us. And so I think, you know, what Elon is doing and he's trying to, you know, set up, you know, a, a basis of rules and principles for AI. It's only going to go so far though. I mean, mm-hmm. you're not going to control the hackers and the hackers are going to build right. AI that, that will get through anything. Yeah. And it's kind of scary too, to think that just narrow AI can be dangerous. So if, if the AI was only made to get into a relatively secure system like the Tesla system, if it can get control of the system and then hand it over to a human person that's just driving around, you know, this metal projectile, that's Mm. obviously a weapon too. So there's a lot of ways that it can be weaponized, even if it's narrow AI versus a general super intelligent AI. Yeah. Especially because it seems like in the past hackers have mostly been, or it just seems like they've more been sort of lone wolf hackers. Whereas now, in the, if you look at the Daily Beast for today, they're saying that the the level of threat from both China and Russia for hacking the next election is beyond what it's ever been in the past. Like they're coordinated against the U.S. to a greater extent than they have been. So it's a serious threat having these the possibilities of hacking. And, you know, China is very far along in their AI. But obviously, there's a lot that we don't know about what what's going on there. But it seems like they might be farther along. And with our own projections of when we think that artificial intelligence is going to meet and then surpass general human level intelligence, it seems like the millennials role as far as generations is sort of to be the liaisons between the baby boomers and the younger generations, because we kind of understand both worlds. But it seems to me like the Gen Zers and the people who are even younger than Gen Zers, those are the people, the generation that are really going to be tasked with figuring out this whole paradigm shift to AI and, and how that changes the global chessboard. Oh, with, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, uh, do you want me to elaborate on that? Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. please do. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I think what you're saying, you know, it's going to, you know, change the global chessboard moving forward. Um, you know, I guess using chef as the reference, you know, chess is the reference. There's going to be, you know, so many moves, um, you know, and, and stalemates and then, you know, ultimately checkmates. Um, yeah. I, I mean, think if you, you look know, at what's going process, on with Huawei right now. Yeah. It's I just saw that there's an indictment, I think, yesterday or something, right? Yeah, they indicted the CFO of Huawei. And yeah. if for our listeners who might not have been following this, so Huawei is the second biggest smartphone producer in the world. So it goes Samsung, Huawei, Apple. So they're bigger than Apple. Yeah. And our intelligence has shown that because Huawei is essentially owned by the Chinese communist government, they have been putting in some hardware that allows them to infiltrate 
any device, this is what we think, on a Huawei phone. And so that's part of the reason why we've indicted the CFO of Huawei. It's not only because they've stolen U.S. intellectual property. It's also because there's the risk of them being able to essentially tap into the data of any device that they have produced. And yeah, this so is just I, really the tip of what's uh, of, of the iceberg. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, first off, what you're saying is it, it is the tip of the iceberg. Um, second off, you know, I when was it? It was it all, uh, about a little over two years ago. Um, I went to China and I actually, I was, I was able to get a tour of both, uh, Huawei and Tencent, both of their headquarters. Oh, wow. Um, for, for people who don't know, those are, I mean, the, the two, I'd say probably two of the largest companies in the world and in China. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, everything in China, for example, is run through Tencent. Um, you, there's one app you, you pay all your doctor bills through it or you pay every bill through it. You pay for your train through it. You pay or you get your medical records through it. You, you know, it has all of your games through. I mean, literally your entire life is through one app. Uh-huh. Um, you look at screen time for um, it's people in China, and it's all, you know, almost 100% on one app. All of your messaging, it's, um, you know, they also own WeChat, mm. which is, you know, one of the, you know, biggest messaging platforms out there. And so real fast, you know, jumping back to AI, you know, a system gets, a, you know, hold of this app. You know, everyone's data can be exposed or everything's, everyone's data can be deleted. Yeah, I almost think of it as like in the U.S., your phone is an extension of your mind. Yeah. But in it China, is. it's like your phone is an extension of the state's mind. Yeah. <laughs> and it like <laughs> takes in your inputs for this greater mind. Whereas yeah. in the U.S., it's all about, you know, what's what's on your iPhone stays on your iPhone. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think, you know, the, the, the U.S., I mean, like Apple, for example, you know, they have a very specific policy. I mean, go back to the... It was what was the 2010 terrorist case in San Bernardino? Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I had a, a professor last year. He was one of the you know lead Secret Service agents on that case, um, wow. and you know he talked to us extensively about you know the difficulties that you know from the, the government though is you know having you know and, uh, you know this this was in a class you know it's pretty genuine, um, but getting into people's devices now, um, and you're talking about when it's you know a terrorist case. Um, and a company like Apple, to an extent, you know, wouldn't help the government out, you know, to try to see if there was another attack planned or if there's something else, you know, in the works. You know, Apple has a policy and they're not going to open those phones. And, you know, it's led to outside minds, you know, participating in that now. Right. I mean, if you think of this as like a technology arms race, the big problem that I see is that if we have the American paradigm of just the phone is an extension of your brain compared to the Chinese paradigm where it's like the the state brain, it seems like over time, the state brain is going to become way more intelligent than any our individualized smartphone computing systems. So it seems like over time, their AI, just simply because they have access to way more data that they can train their machine learning systems on, that they're going to surpass us unless we sort of rally together all of the US data and put aside some of our privacy concerns. I mean, that's really the only solution i could see yeah no i mean exactly yeah what were you gonna say um just yeah yeah so i was just gonna ask what your thoughts were on data sharing because i know some older generations are like like don't take my data some newer generations or younger generations say sure take all my data if it's better for the whole so i'm curious what your thoughts are and what what your friends think and yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, you know, really interesting, especially you've seen in the last, you know, six months, you know, GDPR go into effect. Um, 
which for those who don't know, it's, you know, it's the, the, the privacy, the new privacy rules for the, you know, mm-hmm. data storage, and data handling um, for the European Union. And, you know, I, rules, you know, similar rules, you know, are already in the works for here in the U.S. Um, I think, you know, who owns the data? You know, it, it does, it, is it my data or is it Facebook's data on me? And that's the big question. That's the big debate. Um, and that's, you know, what, what, what everyone is kind of debating right now is, is whose data is it? Um, there's people who would argue, you know, my profile picture, that's my data. You know, I added it there. I, I put this information there. Whereas, you know, a company like Facebook might look at it as, you, you know, you uploaded this data to our platform um, and now it's ours. And so yeah. it, it really comes down to, I think, what's, what is the future um, look like, you know, w- with data? Um, I think people, my sister, who's, you know, she's 16, she doesn't, you know, from, from what I take of it, you know, she doesn't care if, you know, all these companies have all the data in the world on her. Um, whereas, you know, I know older people, um, they care, you know, and, you know, there's people who, you know, I, I know a buddy who doesn't have a Facebook, doesn't have anything because he doesn't want these companies to have his data. Mm-hmm. Um, quite frankly, he won't use ever, you know, any Facebook related or owned company. Um, you know, I, right. I was going to ask you about that too, because it seems like a lot of younger generations, they're shoo-shooing Facebook, but they're accepting Instagram and they're owned by the yeah. same company. So, I mean, I get that the UI is a lot better on Instagram, but it does seem like there should be similar concerns for Instagram as there are for Facebook. Well, well, Facebook just announced, you know, I saw, or it, it either wasn't announced or it was leaked. Um, but that, you know, they're going to basically make Instagram Messenger, Messenger, and WhatsApp, you know, it's, it's all going to be the same platform now. So oh, I really? guess what they mean, I guess what they mean by that is, you know, if I log into Facebook, it's going to be the, the same messages that are on Instagram are going to show up as if I was in WhatsApp. Um, and they're trying to tie all of their communication platforms together because you think of it, a, a company like Facebook, you know, they have three huge messaging platforms. Like right. they, they should consolidate that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I think it's, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how people, I think, react even just to that change because um, that's so much data. You know, it's so much information. Um, yeah. you know, Especially when to, your data is shaping the machine learning algorithms that will shape our future. Like they're yeah. using your data for the future of whatever they're using these machine learning algorithms for. I mean, and, and Instagram's even using it to show me, you know, what's on top of my timeline or what's on the recommended page. And, you know, no one knows, you know, actually I, I was talking about this um, and I'm, I'm blanking on the name of the specific type of algorithm. It might be black box. I th- or no, a, a sandbox algorithm, I think is what it is. Um, but where, they were saying, you know, I was talking to my buddy who's a developer, and he was saying how he thinks Facebook doesn't even know the algorithm behind why Instagram shows you what it shows. Oh yeah, um, black so box. Make, yeah, black box. Yeah, and so you know, you know, algorithm, you know, and for the listeners that don't know, you know, it, it teaches itself what you want to see, and then yeah. it, it shows you that. And so you can imagine, like you can imagine a frantic president who's like. The algorithm says that we must nuke them. Like, why? Why? The algorithm <laughs> says you got to do it. It's like, exactly. Oh. That's um, one of the things, too, with machine learning algorithms these days. Like, they need to have an, a machine learning algorithm next to a black box machine learning algorithm that can kind of interpret why a decision was made. Like, why am I, if you're in a self driving car, why did I make this turn or why did I break? Or if it's a recommendation mm-hmm. engine, why did I make this recommendation? Because understanding the why behind it 
is right. important. Well, like Waze has the nice little like, oh, your route improved by three minutes when it redirects you. So letting people know why it's why a system is doing what it's doing is is important. Yeah, um, exactly. And I mean, I, I think you know it'll be interesting to see as more and more you know programs and algorithms like this come out. Um, you know how how it changes you know our society. Yeah. I'm curious how how you view media manipulation and fake news because it occurs to me that it's pretty perilous navigating the internet without getting scammed in some way. If you're not really tech savvy or internet savvy, you can get, uh, you know, there's a lot of ways you can be manipulated into buying stuff, into sharing hateful propaganda. How do you view the problem of fake news and what do you think might be some ways of solving it? Um, as for a solution, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't think anyone knows. Otherwise there would have been, you know, a solution. Um, you know, as for, you know, I know a lot of the spread of, you know, fake news is across Facebook mm-hmm. and, you know, Facebook hasn't even been able to stop it on their own platform. And people, you know, I, I think that's crazy. How can you not stop the spread of, you know, fake news on your own platform? Um, but I think, you know, pr- programs are hard, you know, they're, they're hard, um, to control. I mean, th- this is a bit off topic, but there was that huge bug yesterday with Apple, um, where if you FaceTime anyone, you can actually oh, listen yeah. and see through their camera before they answer the call. And I mean, I tested it out with my friends. I did it to people without them knowing. Wow. Um, you know, obviously, friends of mine, you know, told them after the fact. But you know, th- things are happening like this every day now. I mean, literally, you don't have to answer my FaceTime, and I could hear and watch you. Uh, <laughs> And it's oh such a simple gosh. bug. It's it's ridiculous. Um, and I mean, obviously, you know, it spread like wildfire last night when the news broke. Um, you know, I, I, everyone was knowing about it because you know it's, it's so critical that these systems work and that they work right. So I mean, I, honestly, I just got so off topic from your question. No, no, I no, that that's, was relevant. But it is super <laughs> important the way that we have that we optimize our algorithms. So, for instance, what I asked about was how we might be able to solve the issue of fake news. And with our face, the Facebook algorithm, no one truly understands it as well as the machine itself. But it does seem like it it will show you whatever is likely to get the greatest amount of clicks. And oftentimes that's what will create spark outrage in you. So instead of Marie Kondo sparking joy, the Facebook feed sparks outrage. And it does seem like we could change the algorithm so that it instead is focused on bringing people more towards the centers than towards the sides. But of course, that would be interpreted as, as a, you know, something nefarious from whatever side is being silenced, even, the, even if what they're being silenced about is hateful speech. I mean, you have to remember all these companies are out there to make money. And if you think of Twitter, or I mean, now it's actually across every platform, I think maybe with the exception of Snapchat, um, but it's all about what's trending. You know, what's going to be getting the users onto the program or onto the platform? Um, what's going to get them clicking? You know, that's what turns into cash for these companies. They don't get cash from you uploading a profile picture and having more data to store. Um, they get, you know, they make money by you clicking on links and by you sharing stories and by you clicking on ads. Um, right. And so they're going to do whatever they can to promote that. Well, it, it does seem like there's this sort of two tiered system now where you can pay to have them not track your data on some sites or like for instance you can pay for netflix and they're not gonna try to manipulate you or anything like that 
or you could pay for the New York Times and, you know, that, that has better editorial standards than most other papers. But if you want to just get your information for free, then you have to accept a certain level of manipulation, whether it's through ads or through native posts or whatever it is. So one of my concerns is that as we look into the future, it seems like there could be two different tiers of society, one that is smart enough and financially stable enough to be able to pay for quality information that's not trying to exploit them, and another tier of society that can only afford the, the free systems that do make money by manipulating them and serving ads. And that could lead to, a, uh, you know, if we talk about how there's two different versions of reality right now, that could become way more extreme in the future if this trend continues. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I think, you know, looking at these trends, is, you know, it's crazy. Um, looking at the trends of, you know, the amount of users, actually, I was, you know, for work, I was looking at some stuff. Because, you know, we, we obviously, you know, we're going to be dealing with a lot of data when we launch. Um, but, you know, user privacy, you know, all of these things, these trends are, you know, they're all going in the same direction. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, going back to, I, I had to pay for the Wall Street Journal yesterday, you know, I, I was looking at, you know, for 15 minutes, I looked for a way, um, you know, for, for uh, like a, a way to get through their paywall. Um, and I was looking it up and you know, everything was saying how, you know, I was reading these articles then about how Wall Street Journal built the first platform that, you know, there's no one has been able to get away, you know, through their well, paywall. Wall, yeah, because New York it. Times, if you hit your 10 article limit on your phone, you can just go on your computer. and Exactly. And so, you know, I was, I was reading all these things like, you know, there's a Facebook, I think it's like facebook.com slot, you know, backslash like dot PHP question mark or something, which is like the referral link that mm -hmm. Facebook uses which the Wall Street Journal used to read as that means you, you know, you found this article through an ad on Facebook. Um, so it would let you through because obviously they want to, you know, they're, they're right. paying on their site, but you, you know, even that doesn't work anymore. So I actually had to buy, you know, the wall, I had to pay for the Wall Street Journal yesterday. And I was like, wow, <laughs> I haven't had to pay for news Paying for content. What a novelty. Like, yeah. But I mean, think about it for the, for the news. I mean, you know, CNN, CBS, Fox, um, you know, NBC, CBS, KTLA, you know, all, all of these stations, it's all free, you know, and for, yeah. you know, even to read the wired to read, you know, all of these websites, um, you know, it's all free. They all make their money based off of ads and sponsorships. Um, the wall street journal is, you know, it's, I feel like the only platform out there where you have to pay to, to read any article on their site. It's crazy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One, so one of the trends I see is the older generations tend to see one media source and that's it. And then the younger generations are at least more able to call bullshit on an article that they see and look somewhere else. Yeah. So do you oh, I mean, do you notice that? Like, do you do you see something and like, eh, maybe I should verify that this is actually true? Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, it was really really interesting um, reading a lot about the government shutdown. Um, and I mean, I, I'll always, you know, I, I'm pretty split down the middle when it comes down to politics. Um, and so I, I love looking at both the extremes and then looking at, you know, in the middle. But, you know, obviously mm. the two extremes is going to be CNN and Fox. Um, so right. during the government shutdown, you know, I was pulling up articles, you know, on the same topic, but from, you know, one from Fox, one from CNN. And it was crazy. I mean, it actually, you know, I did it with my co-founder in the office one day and we were laughing at how different these articles are i mean you would literally think that there are two different countries that you know these news sources are talking about um and it, it's like you know what's real where's the middle right, right. and you know it was crazy because you know there's sometimes I'll, I'll check out fox and you know i'll 
you know, I think that they're doing better reporting, but you know, in this case it was like, I mean, the, the article is just so far from the truth. Um, I think it was about maybe yeah. one of the indictments or something during the government shutdown. And it was like stuff that you've never even like heard of. You're like, what is this article saying? And then like, you know, you, you look at CNN and, you know, in this case, you know, they were showing, you know, both sides of it, but also it was like so far one way. And it's like, you know, you can't even get, you know, real news. Yeah. <laughs> Do you notice that trend with other Gen Zers, like your friends, like they'll, they'll look at multiple sources rather than yeah. just like seeing something and. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I think, you know, our, my parents' generation, they're so much, you know, they'll look at, you know, one thing. My parents, like, they watch, you know, 60 Minutes, you know, every week, and they'll watch, you know, Meet the Press, you know, every, you know, Sunday morning, and they'll watch the nightly news every night, and that's all, you know, whereas with our generation, people look at everything. Yeah. I think even things like Apple News have made that so simple. Yeah. I mean, that's that's got to be a net positive, though, if even with these these free media sources where there is some sort of manipulation going on, you can at least see multiple takes and kind of come to your own conclusion. So yeah. hopefully that's kind of a way to combat this whole yeah. inequality of information. Thing. I mean, Justin and I have talked about the possibility of having some sort of credibility check or truth checker so that if you're wondering if a story is true or not, you can just enter into this system and Obviously, the question is then how do you build that? I mean, Elon Musk also talked about building a, a similar system. Yeah, he 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 started a company. Probably. He actually, yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. And he, you know, he, he's doing it. You know, it's actually funny. Before he announced that, I had a friend um, here at USC working on a similar system, um, uh, which was really really cool. And then you know, obviously, you know, he he stopped working on it since. Um, but it was you know one of those things where it's like there is nothing that you know how reliable is this source? How reliable is this author? Right, right. Which way does this article lean? You know, we really need like better digital forensics too to figure out how did a story first start. I mean, for instance, WhatsApp just changed their policy so that now you can only send a mac, you can only share an article with a maximum of I think five people or ten people, and the the limit used to be fifty. And the problem is that fake news would spread like wildfire because you have. Ah this small group of people who read an emotionally enticing article that's not true and then they share it with everyone in their contact list all of a sudden if you search this it's on a million sites it's hard to know if it's fake so digital forensics and limiting the speed at which fake fake news can spread i think those are two solutions that we're long overdue for implementing oh without a doubt so given this talk on like information and media what so given all of this information that's out there, like how is this affecting the, the mental health? Like seeing everyone on social media living their best lives and seeing all these news articles, like what does that even do to the mental health of right. Gen well, Z? Well, if you look at the, the rates of depression and self-harm, like cutting and suicide also, the rates are much higher for Gen Z than for other generations. However, it's really just for the females in Gen Z. There's some small increases with males, but it's, it's really more of a problem with, with the, the female cohort. And it's got to be somehow related to social media. And I mean, one thing we've talked about in the past on the podcast is this idea that you were, we evolved for, to be roaming around in, you know, in uh, Africa, hunting animals, <laughs> 
you know, uh, rallying together with our friends when we have a victory and taking care of each other when we have a loss and doing all of these very visceral tribal experiences. And now it's like we're living a parody of a parody of a parody. It's like rather than actually going out with your tribesmen and hunting down buffalo, you're getting on to World of Warcraft and and playing with your clan <laughs> while your mom brings you extra bag of Cheetos. Yeah. And, and with like romance and relationships and with all the stuff that how girls interact socially, it seems like that also has become a parody of what it used to be. So rather than like all sitting around collecting berries and basket weaving while you talk about the next generation of kids and the elders and whatever, instead of that, it's all happening on a social media, on a screen where it's removed, where maybe people can be a little bit meaner than they would be in person. Oh, because... people are so mean. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what are you seeing? Are, are you seeing this as a problem with the, the girls that you know and in and, and your grade and, and younger? Yeah. I mean, I, I, without a doubt. And I mean, I think seeing, you know, what people are posting younger and younger. And I mean, not only what they're posting, but what they're doing, you know, these younger generations jeweling and smoking and drinking, mm. you know, in, in middle school. You're like, yeah. what? Like, I didn't even know a jewel existed till last year. <laughs> yeah. Well, it does seem so. Certain things are down. So, for instance, yeah. drunk driving is down. Uh, teenage but, but, sex is down. Uh, dropping out of school is down. So, a lot of the traditional, like, if you were to watch like a 1960s or 70s movies about like bad teenagers, none of that behavior is happening to the same degree as it I mean, used to. I, mean, I, I think it's very different though also. I mean, you have to look at, you know, the technological advances. So now, you know, there's Uber, you know, kids, you know, I have friends that don't even have a driver's license still and they're 22 um, because they're like, I don't need a car. I mean, I can just Uber around. Right. Um, so, you know, there, there's that, you know, on, on the, you know, teen pregnancy, um, you know, I think look at the, there's like 20 different versions of like birth control now. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you, you can get it without even your parents knowing. Um, so I think, you know, that's huge. I think, what was the last thing that you had mentioned? Um, well, like drunk driving. Oh, I so said we are drunk driving, teen pregnancy. Oh, dropping out of school was the. Yeah, and I, I think with dropping out of school, I mean, you know, schools become. You know, I think, you know, high school is a little different. It hasn't fully, you know, it's not at the same point as like college. Um, but I mean, there's so much online school and there's so much tutoring and there's so much, you know, ease of access to information. Um, so I think, you know, it's really, it's a, it's a changing time. Mm -hmm. So how would, how do you think we could solve these problems as far as mental health is concerned? Because, so let's, let's do a hypothetical scenario. So let's say you have a kid and you're deciding when this kid should be allowed to have a smartphone, when they're allowed to have a Facebook profile, Instagram, whatever else, what would your policy be for your own kids? Like when could they watch TV, for instance? Like what would all of your policies be? Um, I would definitely let, you know, my kids, you know, I'd say, you know, watch a, a limited amount of TV, I mean, every day. And obviously I want my kids, I'd want my kids, you know, to be outside, you know, playing, you know, catch with the ball or you know riding their bikes or you know doing stuff um you know I, I would definitely let them have you know some screen time every day um you know i think like an ipad's a great thing i think it's ridiculous the number of people you know and parents nowadays who won't even go out to dinner because they have their kids at home um yeah like, you know, leave them with a maid or you know i used to you know grow up you know asleep at the table you know every day um which i think was you know 
not every, every dinner I used to, you know, be asleep at the table with my parents. You know, they would bring me everywhere. You know, I never yeah. was like, oh, I'm going to, you know. You know well, I have up. heard that's important to make your kids adjust to your lifestyle rather than you adjust to your kids. Exactly. Your kid gets I think it's like, so like a little king complex. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think it's crucial. You know, you you like you said, you know, your kids need to adjust to your lifestyle. You don't need to adjust to theirs. Yeah, um, I mean, you can have kids that are, you know, they're, they're not going to want to do anything. They're just going to want it to be their way or the highway. Right. The big concern I have, I mean, I, you know, none of us have kids, but when I think about what policies I would want for my kids, I'm really torn because on the one side, I want my kids to be tech savvy. And there is data that shows that the earlier you start using technology and familiarizing yourself, you're going to have a much better chance of being able to create virtual worlds when you're an adult. And those are going to be the jobs of the future. It's not going to be driving an Uber. And but on the other hand, there's this concern of digital dependency where we talk about your phone being like an extension of your brain. If you depend on that so much, then you could actually be less cognitively competent than someone who grew up without that dependency. Like for instance, my, my wife makes fun of me sometimes when we're driving in the east side of LA because I'm so dependent on Waze, just because I love Waze and I use it 24 seven. And she's like, you don't even know where you're going because you're always using Waze, like, because she never uses it. She just remembers where to go. Yeah. But that you could see that for like iPad baby generation kids to a way uh, greater extent. Oh, 100%. I mean, I think, you know, it, it's so true that like we, you know, do people really ever know where they're driving anymore with Waze? I mean, it's, it's all, oh, just use Waze. I mean, uh, I, I was, you know, abroad and you use Waze everywhere you use Waze. So well, I it's mean, like I that think... guy who that, uh, a Lyft or no, it was an Uber driver who murdered like three of his passengers and they, and in his defense, he wrote a letter. It actually ended up being written by someone else, but that's not the point of the story. They wrote a letter <laughs> saying that, that, he was just following what Uber had told him to do. And he had basically lost all sense of agency. And it was like, Uber is telling me I must kill these people. And it was like, totally. Because if you're in this mindset where all day for your job, you don't make any decisions. You just do what the system tells you. Okay, now drop, drive here. Okay, now pick up this person. It's like you just become this cog in this machine rather than being a, an agent who actually like... Uh, you know, thinks about what are the proper decision is. Yeah, no, exactly. I think, you know, people are becoming such machines. It's so true. Um, and I think, you know, people are, you know, they're, they're getting themselves on, you know, just like, it's like a clock, you know, it's this, 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 this sleep, then the same thing repeat. And it, it you know, it's getting so in their head. And I think even with the digital world, people are having less human interaction, um, you know, and things are changing. Yeah. So I want to talk touch on just one other question before we get into the worst case, best case, most likely scenario, and that is religion. So it also appears from the data that rates of anti-religiosity, so whether you're an atheist or an agnostic, have basically doubled from millennials to Gen Z. So I'm curious what you think the reason for that is. I, I don't know if uh, you're comfortable talking about your personal religious beliefs, but I am curious for someone who has access to all the world's information at a younger age than we do, how you view religion. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, you know, I, I grew up Jewish, um, you know, and I think I'm very open, I think, about religion. Um, I don't care 
you know, about who I'm dating, you know, what religion they celebrate, um, you know, as long as they're open to it. I think I'm, I'm really open about that. Um, you know, it, it's not as big of an effect to me. I know my parents, you know, they're very open about it. You know, we, we don't care, you know, what you celebrate, you know, we respect it. Um, everyone has their own beliefs. And, you know, I think that's, you know, I, I think it's the world we live in. I think you have to be open to everything now. Mm. I mean, you know, we started off, I think, to talk about this, but look at, you know, the LGBTQ, uh, LGBTQ community 10 years ago versus today. Um, you know, I think, yeah. you know, yeah, every more, every generation think, uh, tends to be much more progressive than the, the yeah. former. So it seems like that's also the case with religion, which is a good exactly. sign. Yeah, I think it's I mean I think it's a good thing. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's take a quick break and then let's get into the worst case, best case, and most likely future scenarios. Okay, perfect. Good break. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's get into the worst case scenario. Worst case scenario. So, Harry, what do you view as the worst case scenario, not just for the future of Gen Z, but really the future of humanity? Because a lot of the changes that we're going to have to address are going to be driven by Gen Z and younger generations. I mean, I, I think that, you know, the worst case scenario for humanity, you know, and I think also on the contrary, it could be the best, you know, the best thing that happens to humanity. But I think it's something, you know, we, we touched upon, you know, AI and, you know, just destroying all of, you know, it, everything out there i mean all of our computers can be just fried um and i mean like literally fried you know you can just overrun the cpus and you know let them melt um so i think you know th th there's definitely that side of things i think you know just everyone's attachment to their screens is becoming you know ridiculous um if you can't put your phone down you know for an hour to get work done you know it's going to ruin productivity so i mean i think you know on a, a technological technological side, you know, AI and screen time, I think, are you know both going to be deadly to, to you know future generations. Mm -hmm. Justin, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so my approach is kind of more sociological, and I'm I am really worried, like Harry said, about screen time and kids being exposed to screens and YouTube and social media, basically as soon as they can hold a phone. Because I see a bunch of parents that are just giving their kids YouTube to make sure that they're, you know, I mean, kids are very docile when they're just watching YouTube. But then YouTube, kid YouTube can be a really messed up place, too, because they'll be watching these unboxing videos. And then the algorithm puts on some really, like, messed up, like, Mickey Mouse murder type of video <laughs> for the kid to see in the same queue as just some happy video. Um, it's it's really weird how the algorithm works, and that's one of those black boxy algorithms that we don't really know why it gets there. It just gets there because of some basic objective to maximize screen time. So I'm really worried about that, and also what that means for when kids are developing into adolescents and teenagers and into adults, because when you're seeing people posting on social media all the time, especially when you're seeing celebrities posting, you think that you, everyone lives this high roller life all the time. And I think that's one of the things that drives this lonely feeling of people, uh, like people in this generation. So there, there's just, it's more how technology is negatively impacting people and making people mm -hmm. more lonely and giving people making people not spend time with others 
Right. So that's that's kind of uh, the worst case in terms of what what I think I see in the trends of uh, Gen Z and the younger generations. Yeah. So yeah, my my worst case is I I also was thinking more along the AI worst case scenario, and I really do feel optimistic about the ability of Gen Zers, smart Gen Zers like yourself, to figure out a lot of the problems that maybe millennials and Gen Xers and baby boomers couldn't figure out. So my worst case scenario is if the growth and the impact of Gen Zs is stymied by the older generations. Because one thing we're seeing now is that baby boomers are holding on to power for a lot longer than any previous generation. And, and part of that's just because people are living a lot longer now. But death and renewal is a really important part of life because you have a completely different view of the world when everything seems fresh and exciting and you view things, you don't have the curse of knowledge, you view things in a novel way, especially if you grow up with the technology, it's more second nature. So I think our ability to address these really difficult challenges are going to be better addressed by people who are younger in Gen Zers. So my worst case is that we're not able to capitalize on the knowledge and expertise of these younger generations because the power is still being greedily held by some of the older generations. And then my, yeah. and then to get into the best case scenario, best case scenario for the future of Gen Z. So my best case scenario is the flip side, which is that Gen Zers, especially through entrepreneurship and, and self-learning and taking advantage of all the information out there, that they are able to really make a big impact. And I think sort of what we saw with the whole gun control issue with all of the, the Parkland shooting kids, how they have were really able to change the discussion and move things forward. I mean, we'll see how much that we are actually able to move forward. But my best case scenario is that there's sort of a bottom-up groundswell that happens not only around gun violence, but around AI safety and mental health and privacy, security, politics. All of these issues will be exposed for what they truly are and will... Uh, achieve much greater progress by doing so. Yeah, I mean, I would echo a lot of what Matamor said, and just having these this technology and this access to information, creating a generation that is more informed than any other generation, and they can solve all of the greatest issues. So yeah, basically just echoing what Matamor said. What do you think, Harry? Um, I mean, I, I think what you brought up is, you know, a really, really good point. I think, you know, looking at, you know, mental health, you know, the, the gun violence that has happened in this country. Um, and, you know, I, I really agree, I'd say, with a lot of what you, you know, what you had mentioned there. Um, you know, I, yeah, I mean, I, th I think you really made a, a really, really, you know, really great points on that. Um, and I think just moving forward, you know, Gen Z, you know, as a group, you know, is going to have to, or as a generation is really going to have to, you know, do a lot and change a lot. I mean, we haven't even talked at all like about climate change. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, I saw something like if, you know, we, and I was talking, you know, to one of you know our advisors for our company and if, you know, we don't change, I think it's, you know, if we don't have some sort of major change in like the next 48 months. I think like the damage to the, you know, to earth is like ir irreversible or something, you know, from the latest mm. report that was just released. Um, and so I really think, you know, across the board, you know, Gen Z in a way could be like a, a make or break, you know, generation, you know, for, for Earth. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's unfortunately I, I agree. 
Yeah, and yeah. unfortunately, you're cleaning up the mess of all the previous generations. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, let's get into the most likely scenario. Most likely scenario. So, as far as what's most likely, I would say that the paradigm that I already described, where millennials are sort of the liaisons between boomers and Gen Z. I think that's going to continue, and I really think a big onus will be on millennials to empower Gen Zers. And I think I'm pretty optimistic about our ability to take on a lot of these challenges, but we don't have much time left. So the real question for me when I think about most likely is how much collateral damage are we going to have to experience while we go through these growing pains as a society, as a country, and it's, it's unknown. I feel optimistic, but I do think we're going to have some serious challenges environmentally around AI safety, around privacy, around mental health. And there's going to be a lot of people that are going to experience a lot of pain as a result. I do think in the end we're going to come out on top as a better society, but I do think it's going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah. I, I think like what you said, you know, I, Unfortunately, so I think we're going to hit rock bottom, um, and until that happens, I don't think there'll be change. I think Gen Z is a generation that you know is all there for change, um, but it takes something to happen to our generation for them to, to do something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I agree with both of you guys. Um, I do, I'm very optimistic. I do think with all the access to information, especially around the world people coming out of emerging countries with internet. Um, I think I think we have this whole generation that's gonna have a huge impact on the future of humanity, so. Great. Any final thoughts before we bring it home? Thank you so much for having me, guys. Really, really appreciate we it. We had a great conversation. Yeah, thank yeah. you, Harry. Thanks for coming on. on. And of course. thank you to all of our listeners. This has We're gonna been talk the about what has happened, what is currently happening. And what will inevitably happen? The past, the present, and the future. A computer.